0: Thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. Last week, we met Philemon for the first time as a church and we explored his faith in the Lord Jesus. You remember at the start of the letter, the apostle Paul gave thanks to God for Philemon's love and loyalty, his faith in Jesus and his love and faith towards God's people. You remember we talked about those connected, deep relationships that people had in this church community that Philemon was encouraging? Well, that faith and love had cost him dearly. He'd labored to make the good news of Jesus known in a hostile culture. It cost to follow Jesus at Colossae. Remember, he'd nurtured a church in his home. He was building up the body of Christ as a gospel worker. Well, that's a little bit about Philemon to refresh our minds. This morning, as we come to this passage, we come face to face with the internal conflict that he faces with the return of his former slave, Onesimus. We'll dive deeper into two areas this morning. Firstly, what Philemon ought to do, and then secondly, the basis of Paul's appeal for him to do it. Paul calls in this letter for reconciliation. He calls for reconciliation in the spirit of the Lord Jesus, who is the great reconciler, reconciling us to his heavenly Father and to each other as a church community. We know where we're going. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word, the Bible, and that you speak to us by it. Would you help us this morning as we open this passage to see what we ought to do in situations that require forgiveness and reconciliation? Lord, there are situations like that in our own lives. There are situations like that in our life as a church. Would you strengthen us as a church as we open your word and hear your spirit speak to us by it? so that we might approach conflict in a way that is pleasing to you. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, verse 8 brings us to a transition point in Paul's letter to Philemon. He's greeted him, he's given thanks to God for the faith that he sees growing in him, and now he comes to the crunch point. Philemon is a godly leader, but who's facing a very real problem. One of the men who hands this letter to him and the letter to the church at Colossae is one of his runaway slaves. It is Onesimus. How is Philemon meant to respond to the slave who has wronged him? Now, like when any setback comes in life, I can imagine that this is something that Philemon's church community is fully aware of. The slave has gone. The church that meets in his home would have known that some time ago Onesimus had illegally deserted Philemon. So expectations are running high as they watch to see how their leader will respond. We also see that Paul had expectations of Philemon. The Roman world had expectations about how Philemon would respond. They are publicized in a, a tome called The Digest. Philemon's church had expectations. Philemon's whole world came with expectations about how he would respond in this situation unwritten and written everybody had an idea about how a runaway slave should be treated if they came back or were caught in the situation it would be totally normal and acceptable for any slave owner to take out physical punishment against their slave runaway slaves were called fugitives that's where that word comes from if they were recovered then the slaves should be brought before a magistrate and then kept in irons until the time of their trial They might be subjected to tattooing or branded or even fitted with a metal collar to make them marked with a great shame. Sometimes slaves were whipped as punishment, as capture after fleeing. The whole Roman world wanted to to deter a, a disbalance to the power that happened within their empire. Now when we hear of those kind of punishments which are absolutely horrific, I think it conjures up ideas in our mind of what slavery looked like in the Roman Empire. And when I hear about that sort of thing, about whippings and collars and chains, my minds are taken to the slavery that happened to the African-American people in the States. And even that raises our expectations of what Paul might be talking about when he says in verse 8, do as you ought. I think it raises our expectations to think that Paul will tell Philemon to set Onesimus free. Isn't that where our heart goes to? Let him go. Send him out. Give him his freedom and liberty. Surely, surely Paul will call on Philemon to free Onesimus from slavery. But slavery in the Roman world is complicated. It is different to the slavery that those awful punishments conjure up in our minds. It's important for us to recognize from our standpoint that slavery was an integral part of the Roman Empire. It was a key part of both the social and economic world of the first century, now, unlike the North American slavery, it wasn't racially motivated. Our Slaves came from all races and ethnic groups. In the Roman world, there were different tiers of slaves. Now, some people were engaged in menial work like mining in the salt mines. Your life expectancy was very, very short. But others had the responsibility for running the affairs of homes and businesses, even holding government office. Some people had fallen on hard times. They might have been born as free people... But they sold themselves into slavery as a payment for debt. It was kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. It was a way of dealing with bankruptcy when there was no bankruptcy court. When they'd paid off that debt, they could have their freedom. But freedom wasn't necessarily the obvious good that it is for us in the modern world. See, once someone was set free, a former slave was on their own. They had no support and patronage and found it very difficult to make a living. So it wasn't automatically a good thing to be freed from bonded service. I know that sounds crazy to us, but we're trying to see how a first century Christian might think about this. Around a third of the urbanized Roman Empire was in some form of slavery. In our minds, I think we have an expectation. We have an expectation that Philemon should have freed Onesimus. Surely Paul ought to have called on him to do that. But slavery is such a part and parcel of life in the Roman world, I think we need to pause and consider a parallel in our own lives. It's not unfair to draw a comparison on how Christians in Philemon's time accepted slavery to how we accept certain economic practices today. I doubt that many of us Well, many Christians in the West would bat an eyelid at the idea of charging interest on a loan or taking out a mortgage. Not many of us think too much about the interest that's charged on a credit card until it's time to pay the bill. But there are issues that arise when we think about collecting and foreclosing on defaulted loans and mortgages within the Christian world. Jesus is absolutely scathing about charging interest in Luke 6. Take some time to look it up this week. It might make you very uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. And yet Christians don't think too much about the issue of paying or charging interest. It's part of how our world works. We couldn't get by in life without it. I doubt any of us has been wrecked by guilt when we took out a mortgage or we received interest on a loan or an investment. Paying interest is a part of life. But that hasn't always been the case, and it may not always be the case that Christians don't worry about it. But by and large, we don't see charging interest and paying interest as an evil the church must reject. It's that kind of mindset, friends, that we need to have towards this concept of slavery within the first century. We need to sympathetically recognize that there are practices that we accept as part and parcel of life that may be seen as wrong by future generations. We need to think about that as we come to the very complex issue of slavery in the Roman world. But I don't want us to go away thinking that Paul doesn't challenge Philemon. He does. Not explicitly to free Onesimus, but to see Onesimus as free in Christ. To see him in the same way that Philemon sees himself. See, Onesimus isn't just a runaway slave. Look at verse 10. He is now like a son to Paul. Let that sink in. In his flight from Philemon, where Onesimus has wronged him, where he's broken the law and inconvenienced him, maybe even impacted his finances. In his flight from Philemon, he has run into Paul, and he has heard and responded to the good news of Jesus. So that now, Paul counts him as one of his own spiritual children. It's the same kind of language that he uses of Timothy, my dear son in the faith, or the church at Corinth. Through Paul's ministry, Onesimus has heard the gospel, and he now believes in Jesus for salvation. He is trusting in Christ. And because of that, Onesimus is a new creation. Like Philemon, he is in Christ, and that changes everything. It means that Onesimus will be useful instead of useless, verse 11 tells us. Paul makes a lovely play here on Onesimus' name, which means profitable. Now, by fleeing Philemon's house, Onesimus has been the opposite. He's caused turmoil, financial impact, if he's helped with Philemon's business and household. By running away, he's been totally unprofitable. But now he is useful in a new way. He's useful to the kingdom of God. He can share in the work of making the good news of Jesus known. He can be profitable, not just for Philemon, but for the kingdom of God. It also means that he will be useful both to you, Philemon, and to me, Paul. Verse 11, Onesimus has been laboring alongside Paul, we learn. He's been such a blessing to Paul that he describes him as his very heart in verse 12. His change of status now in Christ means he can be useful to Philemon in a whole new way, just as he's been useful to Paul. It also means that he has become a fellow heir of eternal life, verse 15. Onesimus has been reconciled to God. He has been forgiven of his rebellion against God by accepting the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus in his place. It means that Onesimus will no longer be a slave, a dear brother in the Lord Jesus, verse 16. This is the gospel, isn't it? This is the good news of Jesus in action. He finds and takes people who are lost, who are running away, and he redeems them and gives them a brand new status in the kingdom of heaven. He gives them a whole new place in the kingdom of God. People who turn their backs on God are made his people, and they're adopted into the covenant promises first made to Abraham, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And in him, guilty sinners are declared righteous. The lowly outcast, the ones at the absolute bottom of the heap, the abused and the oppressed, are made to be brothers and sisters with those who have status. The walking dead, the ones who are rebelling against God in their thought and their actions, are made alive again hard hearts of stone are replaced with hearts that are beating made of flesh and blood. The guilty are declared innocent. The hopeless are given hope for a future in eternity. The lonely are given a brand new family. Paul's expectation is that Philemon will do what he ought to do. That he will put on the mindset of Christ as he views this runaway slave. And if Philemon can respond like that, if he can submit to the Holy Spirit at work in him, then his faith in Jesus, his love towards the Lord will be effective in deepening his understanding of the good things they share in Jesus, which we heard about last week. If Philemon can respond this way, the way he ought, as someone who is in Christ, he will prove the effectiveness of his faith, as he learns to be shaped more and more to be like the Lord Jesus. And that is the appeal that Paul makes, that he will do what he ought and see him as a brother in Christ. Can you imagine Philemon opening that letter and reading this instruction from Paul, not just in private, but in the setting of the home church with Onesimus present? Here is Paul, the apostle, writing and asking Philemon to do the right things in the eyes of the Lord. And you can imagine the beads of sweat rolling off him as he stands in front of people and hears this read or reads it himself. Well, you can't really say no to Paul, can you, when he writes this? But look at how he asks. Paul asks all of this not as an apostle, not as one in authority, but he asks driven by their mutual friendship. And the way that he asks, Paul empties himself of his authority and his power. Remember, we saw it in the introduction to this letter last week, in verse 1, where he described himself as a prisoner of Christ. And now in verse 9, he does it again. He goes further. He is a prisoner, a shameful thing to be in the Roman world, of no status, and an old man. It gets even worse. He is in chains for the gospel, verse 13. See, even though he's an apostle, he doesn't command Philemon. Now, he tells us that he could, but he doesn't. He appeals to him on the basis of love, the same love for the Lord Jesus that he's seen Philemon using to refresh the hearts of God's people. And so he asks the question rhetorically, will you do it again? It's the subtext. Paul asks Philemon to do the right thing, even at a huge personal cost. See, Paul would have loved to have dearly kept Onesimus with him, verse 13 tells us. He's been wonderfully helpful to Paul, who's in chains for Jesus. But by sending him back, Philemon has the opportunity to grow in his faith, to reconcile, to see Onesimus in a different light, not as a slave, verse 16, but as a brother in the Lord. Paul wants Philemon to model to the church at Colossae a totally different way of relating to a runaway slave a man who is his property, a man who he has the legal right to punish. He wants him to see him from an eternal view, as one who is reconciled by Jesus and adopted into Jesus. He wants Philemon to see Onesimus as the one who he will have back to be reconciled to forever, verse 15. The church, the body of Christ, this community of radical love and loyalty to Jesus, is to be ordered differently to the world around us. We are to be a community of reconciliation. We need to look beyond the slights and the hurts, sometimes the intentional wrongs that we suffer, and lift our eyes to the eternal view so that we might be reconciled in Jesus to one another. Jesus gives dignity to the lowly, and he lifts up the weak. He elevates those who are the least, and he humbles the proud. He creates a new humanity with this topsy-turvy social order. Not by his strength and power, but by love and humility, by gentleness and goodness and kindness and self-control, by a sacrifice made on the cross. He is so committed to that end of building a new humanity that is upside down, that he gave his very life in our place, reconciling us to his heavenly father. Our heavenly father, who has every right to hold us accountable for our rebellion For the times that we have fled away from his goodness and gone our own way instead. But for us as the people of Jesus, like our Lord, we are meant to empty ourselves. To humble and lower ourselves when we appeal to our brothers and sisters. Not to insist on a certain course of action because of status and influence. Church, we are going to be wronged. We are going to take hits. Brothers and sisters in Christ will harm us. People who don't know Jesus will harm us. People will come to Jesus who have harmed us. And we are going to harm others. It's the nature of family, isn't it? Where we hurt one another by what we say and do, by expectations unmet. There are ways that we ought to respond when we hurt one another as a church. Not because you're nice people, although many of you are. Not because you're good citizens, although many of you are. Not because you're kind employers or caring family, but because you are in Christ. If you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus, then you have been redeemed. You are dear sons, dear sons of God, whether you're male or female. You are a dear son of the Lord if you've been redeemed in him. And at last, through Jesus, you are useful to him. I wonder if there's any more pertinent time than in a post-COVID world to consider conflict and reconciliation and how we ought to respond. Christians have offended each other deeply through this time over the last couple of years, where decisions were made in church settings about different responses to the pandemic, In some church communities, vaccine passes were required, in others they weren't. And that has caused deep division in the body of Christ. Now our church has done pretty well through that time by the grace of God, but other church communities have really struggled. But other responses, responses like the one of our own church where we decided to combine services to see us through the pandemic, that has caused deep offense to some of our people. We've needed to set aside treasured ways of worshipping, and we've counted the blessings that have come for that, but for some, that has created a deep sense of loss and disconnection from their tradition and worship. Some of us have been hurt. Those decisions have left some of us feeling wronged. As something which was once held dear has been set aside for the future growth of this church community. Friends, if that is you, I acknowledge and recognize that that is your journey. It has been hard. Our little church here in Richmond, we are a church in need of reconciliation. Some of us are facing the same challenge as Philemon. We're being called to forgive in a genuine and rightly held grievance. Now the situation is different, but the gospel principle of our faith being effective and spurring us on to a deeper love in the Lord Jesus is just the same. And that is where we can do our learning from Philemon. Philemon. Will we respond as we ought in Christ, driven by love for him and his people, proving the effectiveness of our faith? Will we set aside our right to be offended, our right for recompense, our right for the sweet satisfaction of hearing your right? Will we empty ourselves of power and status to let go of the right to feel offended? to seek reparation or to punish a wrongdoer and instead be people of reconciliation. That is the call. Will we be more than church members who share a pew on a Sunday, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, the one who emptied himself of everything, taking on our sin and swapping it for his perfection, his righteousness, so that we might be reconciled to God the Father? Will we do what we ought As brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, will we do what we ought? Not because I tell you to from up here, I haven't got a leg to stand on. I've got as much mess and conflict in my life as the rest. But because we know and see and live the life-changing love of the Lord Jesus, will we be a church shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us? in a way that is costly and hurts, so that we might prove the genuineness of our faith. Friends, I hope that more and more we will, and that that will be a powerful witness of reconciliation among us, and that that witness of reconciliation among us might help us to share the message of reconciliation between a loving God and a broken, sinful people to take the message out in Christ to the world so that we might see many reconciled to him, so that we might all be profitable in his service as his kingdom grows. Why don't we pray and ask God to make us that kind of church? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise that you've reconciled us to our heavenly Father by your death on the cross in our place. Lord, you don't treat us as we should be treated, but you treat us with kindness and mercy and grace, even though we have wronged you and fled from you. Would you write the truths that we've uncovered today on our hearts, that we might respond to you thankfully as we ought to seek reconciliation and to be a community of reconciliation, not from compulsion but out of love and loyalty to you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name and for your glory alone that we ask it. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa.com You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, Zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening.